Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So last week, Pastor Megan preached a powerful and challenging sermon on the virtues of forgiveness and how that ideal of forgiveness, of rebuilding broken relationships, instead of just canceling and, and, and walking away, is what our world needs and what, what Christ calls us to do. Our reading today carries on that same theme. In fact, the, these verses immediately follow our reading from last week. So again, reading from Matthew 18, this week beginning with verse 21. Then Peter came and said to Jesus, Lord, if another member of the church sins against me, how often should I forgive? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, not seven times, but I tell you, 77 times. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. When he began the reckoning, one who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. And as he could not pay, his Lord ordered him to be sold, together with his wife and children and all his possessions, and payment made. So the slave fell on his knees before him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the Lord of that slave released him and forgave him the debt. But that same slave, as he went out, came upon one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him by the throat, he said, pay what you owe. But he refused. He then went and threw him into prison until he could pay the debt. When his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their Lord all that had taken place. Then his Lord summoned him and said, you wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not have had mercy on your fellow slave as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his Lord handed him over to be tortured until he would pay his entire debt. So my heavenly Father will also do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Word of God, word of life. Thanks be to God. Hmm. Well, it was tough enough to talk about the importance of forgiveness last week, and now we've got to do it again? Yuck. And now, in particular, right, it seems like we are more polarized over issues of politics and, and social justice and how to best deal with this global pandemic. Forgiveness, right? I've got enough problems figuring out how to put 10 people in the same room and make sure that A, they don't get in an argument over politics, and B, that they don't accidentally spread a deadly virus. But this is our challenge today, to talk about forgiveness nonetheless. And we have been given two very powerful stories from Scripture to help us in that conversation. One from the Old Testament, one from the New Testament. In Genesis 50... We catch the tail end of a long story of sibling rivalry. Joseph, the second youngest of his brothers, was sold into slavery by his brothers over pure jealousy. Parents, remember that the next time one of your kids is picked on by their siblings. At least they didn't sell them into slavery. Anyway, the brothers 
just told their dad that Jacob, their, their dad Jacob, that Joseph had been eaten by a wild animal. And the sibling rivalry was solved, right? Not the end of the story, though. Some years later, there's a famine in the region, and Jacob and his family hear that Egypt has some food. And so the brothers are sent to buy some food to save their family from starvation. And who do they find? They find their brother, Joseph. After they sold him, Joseph ended up in Egypt, but he's no longer a slave there. He's somehow risen to power in Egypt. His ability to interpret dreams saved the nation of Egypt from famine, and the Pharaoh has placed Joseph in charge of the whole operation, and now before him stands his brothers, the ones who sold him as a slave all those years ago. What would you do? Right? Think about the worst thing that anyone's ever done to you. What if you met that person today and you had nearly unlimited power to settle the score? What would you do? Could you possibly be like Joseph and forgive your brothers and take care of them in their time of need? But somehow Joseph does. Somehow Joseph puts the past behind him and does not hold a grudge against his brothers for the evil they've done to him. He agrees to use his authority in Egypt, not to even the score, but to save his family. Right? He chooses to see these events through the eyes of God instead of his own. He he chooses to use his power to reclaim community instead of making things even. May God give us such courage today and all our days too, because forgiveness is often the only hope for our communities, our families, and ourselves. Compare that story from Genesis 50 to our story from our gospel reading today in Matthew 18. Jesus tells a story about the consequences of keeping score too closely. Right? Peter has heard this word about the importance of forgiveness from Jesus, just like Pastor Megan talked about last week. And Peter wants to know, well, just how many times am I supposed to forgive? Seven? Peter thinks that's a huge number. But Jesus challenges Peter by saying that he ought to forgive 77 times. Or other manuscripts have the Bible, Jesus Jesus saying 70 times 7, which would be 490 if you need help with the math. Either way, Jesus challenges his disciples to forgive a lot. And then he tells a story. A king was reviewing his books and found that a slave owed him 10,000 talents. Now, I have no idea how he accumulated that kind of debt, but some simple math shows just how staggering the debt really is. A talent, one talent, is worth about 15 years of labor. In other words, if you worked as a laborer in Jesus' day, in 15 years you would earn one talent. And this man has somehow racked up a debt of 10,000 talents, or 150,000 years of labor. What is likely the case is that he's a tax collector who put in a bid with the king that he would collect like a bazillion dollars of tax money from his region, and since he promised such a giant sum, he was given the contract, and predictably, he came up short on the, on the ability to collect. Hmm? like 150,000 years worth of shortness, right? And when the king comes to settle up the account, 
Duh, he, he doesn't have the money. But then the slave has the nerve to say, be patient with me. I will pay you back. Seriously? He owes what could never be paid. But out of pity, for some unknown reason, the king simply cancels the debt. He forgives the debt. But what's strange in this story that Jesus tells is that this gracious gesture seems to have had no effect on this slave. In fact, on the way home from this gracious encounter with the king, this slave meets another slave, one who owes him a hundred denarii. One denarius was worth one day's work. So he owed him a hundred days' worth of work, which I will admit is not a small sum. If I were owed 7,500 bucks, I'd want it back. But this slave was just moments earlier forgiven a debt more than 500,000 times greater. And on the way back from that gracious encounter, he seizes the one who owes him money by the throat and is uttering demands and threats. And then the whole community comes unraveled, right? He gets tattled on and the king gets mad and thrown in prison. And Jesus tells the story to remind us that even when we think we are asked to forgive others so much that that debt pales in comparison to the debt that God has forgiven us. And our failure to forgive others can often be traced to our being unaware or indifferent to all that God has already given us so graciously. But there, but there is more here. right? This parable is, is not just about Jesus telling us to get better at math. Right? To know, know the score and, and be fair with forgiveness. Pay, pay forward just a fraction of what God has given us. Jesus is telling us to keep our eyes on what forgiveness is really about. Community. And when I think about the importance of forgiveness for the sake of community, I always think about my high school buddy, Jim. Jim and I ate lunch together pretty much every day of our junior and senior years. It seemed like we were about the only two kids in our grade who actually ate lunch at school. We had an open lunch policy in our school, and there were about four fast food joints within easy walking distance from the school. So from my perspective, almost everybody my age went out to eat for lunch. And then just about everybody else had other places to sit than with me. I was a world-class dork in high school. But I did have Jim, and Jim had me. I ate lunch at school because my parents made me. And Jim ate lunch at school because that's all his family could afford. Jim's family received free lunch. And I knew that because kids who received free lunch had different color lunch tickets back in those days for some strange reason. So it was just Jim and me. And Jim was a funny kid. I liked eating lunch with him. And Jim was especially good at making fun of himself, which was a coping strategy he developed to ease the pain from all the ways that others made fun of him. He was a gangly redhead with a face full of freckles, and he dressed in whatever assortment of clothes his family could scrape together. He was quite the target for verbal harassment. I remember one day we were talking. We were seniors. We'd been sharing lunch together for at least a year and a half, and I brought up an incident earlier in the day when a couple of guys mockingly complimented Jim's clothes by asking him 
hey, Jim, what thrift store did you buy those at? And Jim diffused the situation like he always did with a joke. He joked that, no, he'd really gotten them out of a dumpster. Ha-ha, everybody had a good laugh. But it bothered me. And I told Jim, you know, I, I hate it when people treat you like that. Remember when you used to treat me that way, he asked. What are you talking about, I said. You used to say, say stuff like that all the time to me back in middle school, he said. And then Jim recounted how during middle school band, I would, I would make fun of the sweaters that Jim would wear, saying he looked like a walking garage sale. And I was mortified by the words that Jim spoke. I didn't immediately remember talking to him to that way, but the more that he talked, the more I remembered things about myself I hadn't thought about in years. The kind of insecure person I was in my early teenage years and how I had said those things, hoping to get people to make fun of Jim instead of me. My God, Jim. I, I'm so sorry I treated you like that. But what I can't figure out is why you've been eating lunch with me every day for the past two years. Well, because, he said, if I didn't eat with you, then we'd be even. Yeah, I know, Jim, exactly. And I would have had that coming. You should have made me eat alone for the way I treated you all those years ago. Well, I could have done that, Jim said. But you know, I didn't want to be even. Then he snatched a tater tot from my plate and with a big grin said, I'd rather have a friend to eat lunch with. Let us pray. Open our eyes to see and our hearts to forgive, O Lord. Even as you have so graciously forgiven us for the sake of our friends, our enemies, and the communion that we share. In Jesus' name, amen.